0: Let's visit the 90s all over again. Put on those hammer pants. This is Dope Nostalgia.
1: It's super good to have you guys here again for episode 76 of Dope Nostalgia. I'm Naomi, your host. My special guest today, her name is M. Greiner. She had several amazing experiences in the 90s. Um, As a singer, songwriter, performer, and she even worked with David Bowie. So she tells us so many great stories about that. Lots of good things going on with Em right now. You can pick up her book called The Healing Power of Singing. Raise your voice, change your life. What touring did with David Bowie, single parenting, and ditching the music business taught me in 25 easy steps. So this book's available right now at your favorite retailers like Amazon Chapters, as well as on her website, mgriner.com. That's e-m-m-g-r-y-n-e-r.com. Here's a little more information about M. Wikipedia Wikipedia Moments M Griner is a Canadian singer-songwriter best known for her 1998 indie hits, Summerlong and Acid. Griner started her music career in Toronto, working office jobs during the day while honing her live show in small local clubs by night. Griner entered her original song, Wisdom Bus, in a nationwide songwriting contest sponsored by Standard Broadcasting and won. With the money from this prize, she recorded an album called The Original Leap Year and released it on her own Dead Daisy Records. The album attracted the attention of Violent Femmes producer, Warren Bruley. Bruley passed the album on to an exec at Mercury Records who signed Griner. The result was Public, a Britpop-inspired album that yielded a hit in Canada called Summer Long. Several tours followed with Ron Sexsmith, Bernard Butler, Rufus Wainwright, and others. After Universal Music took over Mercury Records, Griner was dropped from the label and le- returned to her own label, Dead Daisy Records. She released several albums, two of which went on to be nominated for Best Pop Album of the Year at the Juno Awards. During this time, Griner moved to New Paltz, New York and Los Angeles to write and tour. She also took a job singing and playing keyboards in David Bowie's band. The gig saw Griner performing with Bowie at Glastonbury Festival, later on with Jules Holland, and other venues around America and Europe. She appears on Bowie at the Beeb, a live album. After leaving Bowie's band, Griner moved to Montreal and released an album called Songs of Love and Death, which was made up of cover versions of Irish songs by The Undertones, The Virgin Prunes, Horselips, Fin Lizzy, The Thrills, and others. Griner found a champion in Pat Egan, a legendary promoter and manager based in Dublin, and he set her up her first shows. In 2005, Griner signed Atlantic Canadian indie band In Flight Safety. The band went on to receive national acclaim, capture several awards, and receive a Juno nomination for Best Video of the Year in 2007. Griner subsequently signed Toronto's songwriter Royal Wood and released his album A Good Enough Day through Dead Daisy. In 2006, Griner released The Summer of High Hopes, produced by Nathan Larson. The album was released in Canada and later in Ireland on the heels of a performance at the Oxygen Festival. In May 2013, she collaborated with astronaut Chris Hadfield on a cover version of David Bowie's Space Oddity, which was recorded partly on board the International Space Station. She has new music out as well, a brand new track called Butterflies that came out at the end of 2020 and she's here to talk about her life and adventures. Welcome, M. Greiner, to the show. I've done a lot of reading up of, on your bio and your Wikipedia, so I wanted to ask you some questions about um, the beginning of your career and what's up now. Tell me about your childhood experiences with music. Is your whole family musical?
0: We were somewhat musical. My parents weren't really... Musicians or anything, but they were music enthusiasts. So my dad was really into jazz. Um, And then because there was really nothing to do where we grew up, uh, me and my brothers learned like guitar and piano. So that was our Mm. thing.
1: Something to do when there's uh, not a lot. Were you in a small town? Uh, We were
0: on the, like in the country near Lake Huron. So mm.
1: yeah. Forest, Ontario. Is that what it was called?
0: (laughs) Yeah, that was sort of the closest town and that was about 2800 people so yeah not a lot going on we really just immersed ourselves in music and um and just living in the country you know
1: Mm -hmm. do you like living in the country more or, or the city what's where do you feel more comfortable
0: um I don't know I've moved around a lot so I lived in New York and LA Montreal Toronto I I think those experiences were essential for me just to shape who I am Mm -hmm. at this stage in my life I really love where I live I live in a small town in Ontario and it's just like really great to have community know that like you know someone can help you out at a moment's notice you know I love that about a small town
1: Absolutely. There's something to be said for that small town community vibe. I remember growing up in a small town thinking that sometimes people may be too much into my business, but.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I really try to distance myself from that. But um, yeah, that's definitely a reality of small town life.
1: True enough. And your brother is a record producer as well as a musician, Frank Greiner. Um, Is he still producing music to this day? He is. He's
0: really into video directing at the moment and he's made quite a few uh, amazing videos for Def Leppard, Alice Cooper. He's even done some some videos for people like Count Basie, uh, like in uh, sort of taking some of his historic work and making it into videos. And he's made um, some for me as well. So, yeah, it's great to have that in the family.
1: Absolutely. And um, you mentioned Def Leopard, which I'm going to bring up a bit later in in my questions. But um, so four albums um, you created in the in the 90s, uh, you have a huge discography. It's very impressive. Um, Public was the first major label release, correct? Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Now, was being on a major label stifling creatively for you? Um, Did you find it to be a positive or negative experience?
0: Well, my major label experience was very brief. Um, I basically got a deal and was in the middle of promoting my record, um, which I was, you know, really grateful that I was able to go to London, England and make kind of my dream record in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, there was a takeover of my record company. So, uh, you know, all these artists got dropped or relocated and people got fired. So. My experience was positive. Um, I never totally got the full you know, experience, but um, I got enough of a taste to kind of see what it was
1: like. Do you feel you were more successful without the major label?
0: Um, again, that's hard to say what would have happened had I stayed on, um, I, I have a theory of what would have happened, mm. um, just from the energy around me at that time. Um, I think so much can be done on your own. And I was one of the first artists to kind of like own that, um, first artist in Canada to like really jump into the indie label thing, um and not really apologize for it, you know? So mm. I, I think it depends on who you are. For me, I just really liked being in charge of what I was doing and I was able to go off and do a bunch of different things that I don't know that I would have been able to do if I was on a label, a big label.
1: That's a very good point. What is uh, one of your most memorable performances you've had throughout your career?
0: Obviously, when I was asked to join David Bowie's band, there were some monumental concerts that I don't think I would have been able to experience as a solo artist. Uh, We headlined Glastonbury in 2000.
1: That's huge. um,
0: And we played at the old Wembley Stadium. Um, And a lot of the TV shows, actually, because I was a real TV kid, like, again, growing up in the country, I was just parked in front of the TV the whole time. (laughs) And um, so to be on like Saturday Night Live or Letterman or anything like that was a real thrill. And even like the British shows that I didn't know much about it was a thrill for me and a huge learning experience
1: no kidding SNL I mean Mm -hmm. what an experience to be in those walls Mm
2: -hmm. I can
1: only imagine um what countries besides Canada really embraced your music
0: um I did some touring in Ireland for a while um because I have Irish roots it Mm. was one of my kind of goals to I, I guess explore the music of Ireland it's a lot like Canada where they have their you know uh, beloved bands that maybe haven't made it outside of the borders of the country so mm. that was really fun to get to know all that music but then I also did a lot with um, Nina from the Cardigans speaking of 90s there's a big very cool <laughs> <laughs> yes. link. Um so I went to Sweden and did a bunch of touring there which really informed like just my life in terms of like looking at the way families are the way people make music and that was a wonderful experience
1: being in Sweden is something I'd like to experience as a songwriter I'd like to understand the the songwriting machine that comes out of that country yeah the pop writing did you get influenced by any of the pop writers that are there while you were there
0: um not so much I was really kind of living um like, I don't know, I I suppose I was making my own record with Nina's husband, Nathan, um, but also kind of like helping out Nina with some of her touring stuff. So I was sort of more immersed in that world, which was not really, I feel like, you know, they had had the big pop hit at that point. And so they were kind of moving away from that. So I was sort of on their train a little bit, but like, there's definitely that culture, right? Um, I feel that in England too just that culture of like melody and energy, mm-hmm. you know.
1: Yeah, like just melody in Europe it seems to still be a very important commodity in songwriting, which is really cool.
0: Yeah, it's almost like a like it's handed down from generation to generation. It's really really interesting. I I definitely love a lot of the pop from Sweden.
1: Yep. Yeah, I, I that rock Roxette was always one of my favorites. <laughs> <laughs> Big Bad.
0: Yeah. Perry
1: Marie. Yes. You had shared experiences too with uh, Kate McGarrigal. How do I say her name? McCar- uh, McGarrigal. McGarrigal. I'm so sorry. Mm-hmm. McGarrigal. <laughs> um, known obviously from what I remember being part of the Log Driver's Waltz. Classic Canadiana.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So that was one of their uh, legendary songs. I managed to just live in a a house with uh, Kate McGarigle as my landlord in Montreal for a couple of years. Mm. Um, Something that sort of came out of being in New York, oddly enough. And um, yeah, like super amazing, like family, kind of Canadian folk royalty. Um, So to be around them and sort of see how they are living their lives was a real education for me as as an up-and-coming singer-songwriter. You know, like anytime Mm -hmm. you see older women who are sort of like, owning their life and work it's really inspiring so
1: absolutely did you have an opportunity to do any writing together
0: no they're very close they were you know Kate's passed on now but um, Mm -hmm. it's a very close-knit family almost like the royal the royal family in a way Mm -hmm. Um, but um, I did ask her to play banjo on one of my albums and she gladly came downstairs and did it and did it like a pro and just she was really wonderful to be around
1: that would have been a great experience absolutely um currently currently what are you doing musically during this very strange time in our lives (laughs) yeah
0: well there's a lot I mean I think when the pandemic started it put the focus on um well first of all it's sort of like we we all were faced with mortality in a way our own mortality so we dealt with it and are dealing with it in different ways. That's kind of a heavy way to answer the question. But mm. in my case, I just sort of thought like, who would I love to make music with the most? So I just have been gravitating towards my rock band Trapper. Um, and we're just like, um, not we're just, we're <laughs> we're a group of like musicians who've been around for a while, but we just love, you know, rock and melody and So we're working on crafting a show and we've been writing music. So there's that. And then I put out a jazz record for my dad. Oh
1: Wow. Um,
0: Yeah, it's been a really nice way for us to keep in touch in the pandemic. And and, um, yeah, just writing some new music, thinking about a new record and um, oddly thinking of kind of going back to not the 90s sound, but maybe something a bit nostalgic.
1: (laughs) Something nostalgic for you. Something that inspires you.
0: Exactly. Yeah.
1: That's amazing. Are you still doing uh, vocal instruction, too?
0: Yeah, it's really grown. It's not just vocal instruction anymore. It's, um, it's turned into coaching, which is, you know, that term sort of used a lot lately, but um, um, I've just really in my own life recognized the link between the voice and sort of reconnecting with yourself. So a lot of the work that I do with artists is, you know, setting them on a path, sort of guiding them um, Hmm. using some of the things that I've learned over 25 years, you know, and it's, it's pretty amazing to, to have this chance to kind of work with people and hear their music and, and even train some of them vocally. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, it was like a, a part of life that I didn't think that I would ever interested in but it's such an important part of my life now and i love it so much
1: uh what uh your students do they tend to be um younger or all age groups
0: right now it's all ages um i don't really take anyone who's too young because your vocal cords really aren't like formed Mm -hmm. um by the age by age 13 or 14 um but yeah from 12 to like 65 um and sort of I'm moving into working more with women um, just because that's been my experience. And I feel a certain kind of kinship with women. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, we'll see where that goes.
1: Well, that's wonderful. I'm glad you're doing that. Did you um, build your own curriculum?
0: Somewhat. I mean, everything is individual. You know, yeah. I, I it's a one-on-one coaching. It's not like a class. So... It's really, you know, I take a lot of time to explore what it is that someone wants to accomplish because not everyone wants to accomplish the same thing. Yeah. So it's been really great just to like, you know, learn to listen and learn to, you know, most people have the answers. They just kind of need a partner to draw those answers out. Mm -hmm. Um, Or sometimes we just need accountability or like some someone to support us in our journey. And, um, especially as solo artists, we don't often, I know that I thought that I had that in managers along the way, but it wasn't really the case. Right. So I am pretty glad to be able to share what I know.
1: Just having that support system there for, uh, new emerging vocalists, it's a wonderful thing to have. So that's, that's great thank that you're thank doing you. that. Yeah, Um, thanks. You've received a lot of praise from artists such as Nelly Furtado, Bono, and the one that I wanted to mention the most would be David Bowie because you've had such an experience working with a legend. David Bowie, of course, you know. Tell me about your um, chance to work with him in the beginning. How did that come about?
0: Um, I had been... Well, the record label blow up thing happened which I told you about mm-hmm. so I was sort of just on my own again and I felt like I could go anywhere or do anything so I started to do some shows in New York because I was just really intrigued by New York City having been there a lot after being signed
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, so I did a bunch of shows and then I met um, a woman named Holly Palmer who um, was a singer and we just hit it off and she had just gotten a job singing with David Bowie. And she was like, they're looking for another singer. You should be that singer. And I was just like, well, I don't know much about David Bowie because (laughs) (laughs) I just knew like, let's dance. I knew like dancing in the streets, stuff like that. Um,
1: Oh yeah. Of course. And then
0: yeah, I just said, yes, I felt like I didn't really have anywhere to go or be. Um, And it was a great, Like, it was just a great experience. I was sort of immediately brought into the band. They're like making my in-ear monitors. And we're like rehearsing for Saturday Night Live. Um, And it was amazing just to kind of, kind of get to know him from like, not the beginning, but for me, kind of the beginning, because I didn't know much about him. So I got to learn about his music by playing it.
1: Mm. So... How long ago, or how how many years did you work together?
0: It was actually really brief. Um, Mm -hmm. 99 (laughs) and 2000, where we just, we did two kind of separate little promo tours. Um, But then within that was Glastonbury. So, yeah, um, I think maybe a lot of those shows were warm-ups for Glastonbury, now that I'm kind Mm -hmm. of talking about it.
1: That's got to be like the big one. Glastonbury is a massive festival for those of you that don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> I can't imagine how many thousands of people that would have been like looking out at a sea of, of humans, I, I feel.
0: Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Um, like it gets to be so many people, it just seems not real kind
1: of. Right.
0: But I remember just feeling pretty exhilarated and and David had lost his voice um, about a week earlier. So I, I remember we were all going into that going like, dang, like, I hope it's going to work out. And if you like, they've released the video now um, and I hadn't seen it for a long time. And when I watched it back, I could see like, we were all like kind of apprehensive in the beginning. And then we sort of loosened up as he loosened up and we realized he was going to be okay. And mm. yeah, so we were really, and it was a great experience. We were really together as a band, like there were seven of us and it wasn't like Bowie trotted off to his own <laughs> bus or anything. We were like literally like all in the same little traveling places together, like vans and and planes and all that. So yeah, it was great.
1: Like your your band together was like a community. It wasn't like he was the uber star and just the you guys were just feeling like a big part of the connection all together like that that's nice yeah
0: it was really nice and I suppose if I knew kind of about his legendary status I would be sort of surprised by that Mm
2: -hmm.
0: um but he was just kind of like he was interested in what everyone was doing and I mean sure he kind of had the fame element but Mm -hmm. around us it was just kind of about the music and and just, yeah, I don't know. It wasn't like there was a big entourage, so.
1: Well, that's, that's really, uh, really inspiring. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. Um, from, from all the music that you've released uh, on your own, for like I mentioned, a huge discography, what album are you most proud of?
2: <laughs>
1: um, I'm proud of two albums, actually. Um,
0: mm-hmm. An album called Science Fair, which I released right after my big major label album, Um, Like my major label album had a budget of like $250,000 and um, I made this album Science Fair for like $500 like the year after Mm. and it sold more than my major label record and I think it was like just that sort of decision of trying to do it on my own which I'm proud of Um, and then I made an album called Goddess in 2009 which I produced and wrote everything and um nice yeah and I just that record um I don't know anytime you sort of are able to put your stamp on something I think especially as a woman in the industry it's like Mm -hmm. we it's so easy to be um kind of taken by the hand and gone and taken down a different path than you're sort of authentically supposed to go down Mm -hmm. so being able to produce being able to record and Right, I think is really important for women so those two records I think
1: did you ever feel that um, there were more challenges in your career path because of being a woman
0: Um, I've been like I kind of have a unique situation where I've been in denial about a lot of that for most of my career Mm -hmm. you know I would often say to people you know I'm a musician first and a woman second so let's talk about the music or something right like And I think only later in life do you kind of take a 360 view of things. And um, I mean, I acknowledge maybe there were some challenges, but I think because I decided to take control of the business of it early on, um, I sort of separated myself from a lot of those challenges. I, I think I did definitely put my trust in male managers um and female as well um maybe that's just like a power imbalance sometimes that Mm -hmm. manager artist relationship that if you're not really strong in your values and where you're going you can be taken off course so i think Mm -hmm. it's just a case of kind of knowing what you stand for before you go into the storm kind of thing
1: yeah no that's very smart and i mean like that can happen too men or women um, can Mm -hmm. lose their way in that storm. So it's just, the industry seems like there's just a lot to deal with, you know?
0: Yeah, there can be. And I think it's overwhelming if you kind of start looking at it all. But I try to tell people just, you know, take the action in the the direction that you want to go. And usually you'll sort of attract people that get what you're trying to go for, hopefully anyway.
1: Attract what you put out there. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah.
1: After these messages, we'll be right back.
2: We're going to dance and have some fun.
1: Hey, friends. You know what I really love doing is podcasting. It's so much fun, and I've been so lucky because I've talked to amazing people so far doing this show. And I'm trying to bring you guys the very best content I can. Now, in doing that, it does get kind of expensive, and I'm on a little bit of a budget to do so. But there's a way you guys can help out, and it's called Patreon. If you visit our Patreon page, you can subscribe to our podcast and get all kinds of ultimate perks just for subscribers. There's different tiered levels, so you can join for only $1 a month if you like. What's in it for you? Bonus content. We'll give you a shout-out on the show. We're going to be recording all kinds of super-secret stuff just for our Patreon subscribers. And in doing that and subscribing, you're going to help us pay the bills help me pay my phone bill when I'm calling people far away for an interview help us pay for our licensing fees so we can play you awesome music clips and so much more and help keep this boat afloat join our patreon at patreon.com slash dope nostalgia hey woodshed it's ak hey what's up nothing what are you doing sitting here listening to the Dope Nostalgia Podcast. What are you doing? Oh my goodness, I am also listening to the Dope Nostalgia Podcast. Did we just become best friends? Hey everybody, what's up? It's DJ Woodshed and DJ AK from No More Games Radio. Keep listening to our friend Naomi on Dope Nostalgia Podcast and check us out at nomoregamesradio.com. <laughs>
2: Coming this fall, the most anticipated action-adventure epic of the year. A story of one man's struggle to save mankind from extermination. And his quest to capture the heart of the woman he loves. If he is to succeed, he will need intelligence, strength, courage. You, on the other hand, will need a PlayStation and lots and lots of free time. Final Fantasy VIII, coming to a home theater near you. PlayStation.
1: as women, we can do to lift each other?
0: Yeah, that's a really good question. I mean, obviously seeing the landscape as one of collaboration instead of competition, mm. you know, like how can we help each other? How can we share our stories, even if they upset everyone around us, um, our family, our exes or whatever? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think sharing our stories is much more important than, you know, it's kind of more important than it's ever been. So I think, yeah, sort of like coming at things like a team, you know,
1: Mm -hmm. Oh, that's very, very true. Um, not there's healthy competition. Mm -hmm. And, and then there's just, you don't want to be in a situation where you're tearing other people down.
0: Other, yeah, especially and I, other
1: women. yeah
0: I love what you said about healthy competition because it takes a bit of a sense of humor too to have that right like
1: yeah
0: um you know I definitely look at other women in Canada doing stuff and I'm like dang you know but you just gotta laugh and go you know that's that's their path and I'm doing my thing and mm-hmm. we can help each other out and we fit together like puzzle pieces if we choose to look at it that way
1: right and you make that choice, exactly, to, to, mm. to take it on like a pos- in a positive light. What hard lessons have you learned throughout your career that helped shape who you are today?
0: Another great question.
1: Uh- <laughs> I'm tough with these today. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, what have I learned? Is that the question? Yeah. What Did you ever lessons? have a
1: hard lesson, like there's something – Maybe something just went completely sideways, not the way you expected it to go, um, that helped shape the path you took after that.
0: Um, yeah, I mean, I suppose with money and that sort of stuff, um, you're not often taught about how to approach things business-wise as a musician. Like, right. we often think we're musicians, so we can just kind of be arty with everything, but... I think that one of the best things you can do as a starting out musician is like understand accounting, understand taxes, understand that money is fun um, and maybe like come at things a little bit less from a place of like, oh, I'm a struggling musician and life is crappy, right? Like, yeah, I think that mentality will keep you in that world for a while. So I think if anything, just like, you know know that it's possible to have a great life as a musician
1: yeah that's good that's a great answer I I agree with that um what's your relationship then with Def Leppard how did that <laughs> come about like I said and you, it was coming up so I'm a big Def yeah I love
0: the segue um me too <laughs> uh, it just basically came out of playing a show in Dublin with David Bowie and uh, this was 1999 and joe elliott was in the audience and i was like okay see a bowie band i see the guy from def leppard (laughs) Um, so i gave him that album i just told you about science fair which i'd made on my own um and he really liked it he wrote me like a letter and then i ended up sending him a little. Christmas gift which was pour some sugar on me as a ballad. Oh wow. Yeah, and then that turned into I made a whole album of ballads. Um
1: is it on that album?
0: Yeah, it is. Nice. And it actually got nominated for like a Juno award, which was like kind of crazy to like just make some album of like metal songs turned into ballads and have it nominated. But mm-hmm. anyway, um so from that we just kind of had a friendship and it's always been very kind of brother sister where we we've even like written some songs together and i've been on some of their records and
1: oh that's awesome
0: yeah it's just really really nice to see like these are guys that i would have had on in a poster on my wall as a kid Mm -hmm. Um, and they're just lovely people really lovely
2: love is like a bomb baby come and get it on Living like a lover with a radar phone Looking like a tramp, like a video vamp Demolition, I'm gonna be your man? i me sweet little man.
1: I'm such a huge fan. Those big choruses, like, (laughs) wow. Have you heard their cover of Ziggy Stardust? Yes, I have. I'm a huge fan of that. And Waterloo Sunset, they do a cover of that as well.
0: Oh, I know. It's beautiful.
1: They they do covers very well. (laughs) Yeah. And also, you had an experience with um, astronaut Chris Hadfield. (laughs) (laughs) Now, this is really cool. Tell me about that.
0: So, um Chris Hadfield is a Canadian astronaut and uh, he's from the same town as I am from Mm -hmm. Sarnia, Ontario. And um, we had gotten to know each other over the years. Um, I had written a song for his spacewalk, one of his space missions, and um, we became friends as a result of that. And so fast forward to 2013 and Chris became commander of the International Space Station, Mm -hmm. um, which is pretty amazing. He uh, was first Canadian to be commander of the space station. And he um, called me from space one day. I had just had my second child. um, And he was like, do you want to collaborate on some music? And I was like, yeah, sure. So he wanted to do a version of Space Oddity and... I basically started the piano, started the arrangement and got the whole ball rolling. And um, we sent files back and forth, like from Earth to the space station and created this version. Um, We had some help from a guy named Joe Corcoran, who I brought into the mix. And um, yeah, it was just really. It was a a version that he eventually shot video for. It became the first music video in outer space. That's incredible. Um, yeah, and uh, and Bowie was sort of witness to the whole thing, and I became sort of the middle person between Bowie and the astronaut, and <laughs> it was just a kind of a lovely, wow. like, yeah, it was a lovely experience to see, mostly to see David see his song performed in space, like that wow. was amazing, and then also the way that Chris kind of, shot this video, he just turned the camera on himself and was floating around in his like sports mm-hmm. socks, you know, um, just playing guitar. And it's just kind of a love one of those things that like, I don't think that everyone was planning, like, for it to be like a viral thing, but it just turned out really lovely.
1: That's gonna be such an amazing feeling. When you're like, "Is this really happening. That's way I would feel about it. Like, I mm. I'm glad that David got to see it, you know mm-hmm. yeah, I think, that, I think that's really special,
0: yeah, and when he passed away, I know that Chris and I had a little moment where we just uh were really grateful for that experience and to bring him a little joy too
1: oh, I don't move on from that. It's tough to move on from that story. that's amazing <laughs> <laughs> um from all of your uh your releases. Um, What album tracks do you wish would have been singles?
0: Um, That's a good question. I, you know, it sounds a bit like um, cocky, but I do think I have a lot of songs that could have been Mm. singles or hits. It's just the environment that I released them in wasn't that machine. Um,
1: It's not cocky. It's you believed in these songs for a reason. So,
0: oh, thanks. Yeah. So. I mean, I, I do think this song Almighty Love that I wrote a while ago um, just seems to be a favorite of so many people. And like Bono kind of plucked it out as one of his favorite songs. And I know Joe from Def Leppard really liked it.
2: Nice.
0: Um, it was just really simple, like kind of three, four chord song. And sometimes I think those songs are the most sort of effective. Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah I don't know I still like honestly like I put a song out last week and I think that should be everywhere but
1: <laughs> we'll play a clip I'm gonna play a clip of both of the songs on the show if you, if that's all right with you I always, yeah, always yeah. put some clips in so we can you know get you everyone can make it a hit. <laughs> we'll do what we'll do our best to uh, get it out there you don't ride back when you
2: To the moon is overdosed on night time, like me on you. Got parts of your punk rock running through my veins, and I've got symphonies inside.
1: the new song called so the new song's
0: called all love all the time okay um and it's a song that i just made in the pandemic with a guy named rob wells who is a really talented producer and Mm -hmm. speaking of covers he's just been making these covers in pandemic he did a cover of don't stop believing and um living on a prayer (gasps) where he just brings (laughs) (laughs) he just brings all these people together and everyone performs on video and um he really encourages people to stay safe and shop local. And it's just like a feel good thing. That's cool. So yeah, I really love his style. So we just, uh, we made that song together.
1: Great. Yes. We'll play a clip. I'm excited. Okay. How have you, uh, taken care of your voice over the years?
0: Well, that's a really good question. Um, it's something that I think about a lot, especially as I guide other people
1: mm. with
0: their vocal health, um, I've I've taken lessons um, and I, I really, really suggest that most people who are serious about singing or speaking or just kind of feeling more confident with their voice to take lessons because there's, you know, there's a way to learn about breathing and support that will protect your voice. So, you know, you could go on the road for years and years and really do major damage if you don't know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um And I suppose the other thing is um, actual, like, stress. Like, if you're living a stressful life, you're going to feel it in your body. Yeah. So just, you know, making healthy choices and actually gave up drinking about a year ago. And I noticed that has really, um, really helped my voice just not be dry and things like that. So
1: congratulations. Yeah,
0: thank you. But that's individual, you know, like, yeah some people are better if they have a drink, right? So it's just some people (laughs) might need it for the stress. Yeah, But um, it's really individual. But I always just say, like, learn with somebody.
1: I think what a lot of people don't understand about vocal coaching and instruction is not always to teach you how to sing. Um, It's it's equally as important that it's there to teach you, like you said, how to take care of it.
0: Absolutely. And I think people fear that their sound will be changed if they take vocal lessons and it's not true at all. It's just like strengthening. Um, it's like singing as a sport. So mm-hmm. every sport has a you know, if you're, if you want to be the best at your sport, you have a coach. So
1: Exactly. And I think sometimes you find that there's things that your voice was capable of that you didn't even know you could do.
0: Yeah, totally. And it's so mental, like so much of what we tell ourselves, um, that we can't do we can't do Mm -hmm. and that's why this link between voice and just how we are as human beings is so powerful um once you just learn some of the mental tricks um and kind of move through life um just aligned with what you're meant to do Mm -hmm. um your best voice comes out so it's been really amazing for me just to like See how that has happened in my own life um, when things were bad, so was my voice, you know so yeah,
1: there's definitely a correlation makes sense mm-hmm. Did you get involved with using the internet, email web pages in its early stages in the 90s to promote your career or was it uh, was it was the internet a tool that you were had adapted and embraced yet?
0: Um, yeah, that's another great question when it was all sort of i mean not right when it was emerging as a tool mm-hmm. um i i was on the road with david and he was so pumped about the internet um mm. he was starting to do like a like a blog or a journal and not a lot of people were doing that so i remember making that a part of what i you know, a part of my music. Um yeah, I don't know. It's um it's it's so far away now.
1: It is. It totally <laughs> But is. I do
0: I, I do remember like being yeah, just kind of feeding off his like excitement around it. And I remember him telling Mm. me like, you know what you should do when you have your website, like click through it and act like you're the customer and see everything. And I was just like, (laughs) this is so amazing. He was like someone's dad, you know, just kind of pumped about some new toy.
1: Nice. And you and I are pretty close to the same age. So we, I think we (laughs) fall into the category of Xennials where it's like your little Gen X. You're a little bit of a millennial, but you grew up with and without the internet in your life.
0: Yes, right.
1: Right. So I'm proud of that. I'm proud that I had a normal <laughs> childhood playing in the dirt.
0: Yeah, I know. I do worry about the the kids today, but I mean, I think in that case, it's about balance, right? Um, yeah. You can't fight this thing entirely. I mean, you could, but what amount of stress is that going to bring into your life? I think it's yeah. edu- like, I try to educate my kids about addiction. They know about addiction already um, and they're eight and 11 yeah. and they don't know about it because they are addicted. They know about it because we talk about it. Um, so yeah. And you know, more and more info comes out about it, but I think if you just start focusing on, on all the evils, it's a big bummer. So
1: everything, With the internet, like the internet's a useful tool. You just have to figure out how to use it properly. It's very easily addictive, just like many things. But how would we get through this pandemic without it? (laughs) I tell you.
0: Yeah, true. And you know what? Like what you're doing, like you're bringing people together. You're creating a community. And I think that that is, um, obviously other people might say that's what they're doing. But, you know, what is the end result? I think- Hmm. I think this sort of sharing of stories and music, that's like a great use of, of the internet.
1: I agree. It's brought, uh, I think a lot of positivity to this time, just, Mm -hmm. uh, and I feel because I'm in a position right now where it's like many, where it's hard to go out and make new memories right now because we're supposed to stay home and quarantine kind Mm -hmm. of thing that Mm -hmm. I find that I'm really more immersed into the past than before, because I'm thinking about happy memories and
2: Mm -hmm.
1: you know? And so I think that's been a real benefit of doing a show like this.
0: Yeah, that's a really, really good point.
1: Reflecting on uh, some good times we had in a pretty interesting decade.
0: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And it's also like kind of healing. Mm. Like, you know, some people say, well, don't wallow in the past, don't think about the past, but it's like, Mm. that's really where all the coding happened in our lives. And like even making this jazz record that I made, I had to go back to like those years when my dad would like play me and my brother's jazz and we hated it. Um but then I learned to love it and appreciate it. But I, I sort of asked myself, like what was going on at that time? So it's it can be what you make it, right?
1: Exactly. I'm
2: It was years ago when we flew Nothing came between
1: but I get the whole thing like reflecting on the past great I know you shouldn't like completely live in it (laughs) that's that's I think the big difference right
0: right yeah it doesn't sound like you're doing that
1: yeah well once once I get my vaccination I'll be out around town bouncing off walls everywhere so
0: there you go I'll be out
1: I'll be out (laughs) making new memories again (laughs) what's a guilty pleasure that you have
0: oh gosh um well, it, I don't know that, like, guilty pleasure kind of implies it's embarrassing to like. Um, I guess that's I'm just, true, yeah. But I'm just full on, like, sort of uh, open about my love for, like, kind of soul and yacht rock, like.
1: Nice. Kind
0: of, yeah. And I, I have actually written a song for Michael McDonald. <laughs> That he oh. doesn't know exists. It's been this really funny thing that I've been doing in the pandemic. And it's actually a really good song. But anyway, um, it's kind of led me down a path where I might make a record like that. So, mm. <laughs> could so you- it's actually, oh. yeah, this whole oh, thing God. of nostalgia. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I could definitely send it to you.
1: <laughs> I would love that. I-, I wouldn't have to put it on the show unless you wanted me to. But for my own personal enjoyments, I'm totally down with that. <laughs> okay,
0: well <laughs> I didn't do either.
1: Okay, sweet. We'll share a clip. I okay. uh yeah, Yacht Rock is amazing. Like Christopher Cross and <laughs> Yeah.
0: It's just so soothing. And like I've thought about it a lot like, you know, what what was everyone thinking making that music? Like were they just making what they thought was just like great music? I mean, and it is great. It is great music, but it is so um I don't know. So unique. And and even things, I mean, you wouldn't call Steely Dan Yacht Rock necessarily, but no. I've been going down that rabbit hole of just like their influences, jazz and, and all that stuff from the 50s or whatever. I don't know. It's very deep. It's a lot deeper than um, than anyone wants to think about, maybe. <laughs>
1: I'm I'm glad that you said you shouldn't be ashamed of your the things that you enjoy whether they people think they're cheesy or not I like a lot yep. of cheesy stuff but I don't even care because I love it <laughs> love what you love
0: yeah and that's the thing so it's like if you love it is it really cheesy at all
1: so. <laughs> <laughs> um what food or clothing item toy something that would um from the 90s that makes you nostalgic maybe a fashion choice you know
0: Yeah, I was really into, like, kind of, like, um, parachute-type pants that were, yeah, Yeah. and I do think those just need to come back.
1: (laughs) They are so comfortable.
0: Yeah. um,
1: (laughs) I think they almost made a comeback with Bieber, though, because Bieber said- Yeah,
0: they kind of did, didn't they? Yeah. I
1: feel like it was just on the verge of being a thing again and, like- not just for the, like the MC hammer concerts, you know, it was, uh,
0: I do think there is some sort of like upscale kind of cozy trouser that is coming back. So maybe like my dreams have just come true and I don't know it yet.
1: I hope your dreams come true with this. I just, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they were, they were very great. Um, so just a couple more questions before we wrap things up here. Um, are your children making music? Um,
0: in a weird way, my daughter is, um, <laughs> I just say that because I force her, I force her to play keyboard every night. Um, and I only do it because she's really good at it and it's hard in the pandemic cause no one will teach her. Right. And she yeah. won't do online lessons. So I bribe her with like a kinder egg every night <laughs> to get her to play piano. But I honestly think it'll be worth it in the end. She might have a lot of cavities, but she will be really good at piano. Um, so she just makes up some little things. She doesn't always love it, but yeah, I don't, I don't, you know, I'm kind of joking. I don't really want to force my kids into music. They just have to really kind of sort of get an understanding of the basics and then make their own decisions.
1: That's good. That's good. And I mean, if she decides even to, you know, take a musical path or not, that's a skill that will help her tremendously if she wants to write or Mm
0: -hmm. record so yeah totally she is kind of recording a few things now just on the keyboard it's really cute
1: nice Mm -hmm. glad to hear that what's been the most fulfilling uh thing about this career path in music for you
2: um
0: well a couple of things I think the lessons it's taught me about myself um, and that's happened through travel through experiences Um, but really I think I had this real awakening um, a few years ago things were really tough for me I just coming out of like a divorce and um, I saw myself singing on that Glastonbury stage with Bowie and it was like a weird message to me that you know, I was writing songs when I was little. I was just so desperate to sing them. And I actually have been doing that, um, but not not particularly aware or grateful of it. Right. So um, seeing myself, you know, getting that chance to, like speaking of nostalgia, hmm. getting that chance to see myself as a 25-year-old singing on that stage um, and then kind of taking stock of all the life that had happened after that it was amazing because I was like you know what I was onto to something then and I can have that again and I think just being able to take that knowledge and you know teach my children about kindness and gratitude and also coach artists um, on their own journey that's been the most fulfilling thing for me.
1: That's really inspiring. I really, really loved chatting with you today. Uh, learned a lot. So thank you, Em, for your time.
0: Thank you. Great questions and good luck with everything.
2: I used to be contagious like the blue waves on my wall. The 19 years I didn't know you, I still love you for them all.
1: Next week's episode is going to be hot. Oh, it's going to be sexy. It's Kendra and I going over the naughtiest, dirtiest song lyrics that ever existed in the 90s. If you guys think you can think of some songs that you'd like to have for another Dirty Naughty episode, give us a call at our hotline. All the instructions are right now. Charlie's going to give them to you. And after our outro today, we're going to play the brand new single by M. Griner. So stick around to listen to it. It's great. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Take care.
2: Hey, kids, put down that Tamagotchi and listen for a second. You know, you can follow us on Twitter at Nostalgia Dope, Instagram at dope underscore nostalgia. Visit our website at www.dopenostalgia.com or pick up the phone and call us at 780-851-8785.
1: This podcast is licensed by SoCan because we believe that artists should be paid for their work.
2: Lights we've ever known, maybe